Good morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worshiping through music this morning. Let me say a couple things to you before we pray and continue worship in the Word this morning. The first thing this morning, I want to just kind of let you know what I'm going to be doing over the Christmas season and ask you to do something. It's going to be a little bit different Christmas series than normal this year. I'm going to be preaching through the meta narrative of Scripture, just kind of starting with the fall and working our way through to, um, uh, to the, the birth, the, re- the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ and His coming. Uh, and so we're going to call it the cries of Christmas. And we're going to talk about the cry of the curse uh, based on the, the fall and, and then the hope that we have also given to us uh, even after the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And then we'll talk about the cry from the cradle. And that is the Lord's redemptive work in bringing and reconciling people to Himself. And then we'll talk about the cry from the cross. And of course, then the subsequent resurrection. And then we'll talk about the cry that is coming when the Lord returns. And then we'll, on Christmas Eve afternoon, talk about the cry of confession. And that is uh, crying out to the Lord to save us. And so I, I want to ask you to invite people to come with you every Sunday throughout the Christmas season. It's just a great way for them to hear the gospel story from Genesis all the way through uh, the Word of God. You know, used to that Easter was the time of year that you would get people who are unbelievers, people who are not saved, to go with you on Easter Sunday. Now Easter Sunday is mainly people, all the Christians just finally come together on Easter Sunday. But the day in which you can get more lost people, the time of year you can get more lost people to come to you, come with you to church is in the Christmas season. And so if you would, just think of people right now and, and begin inviting them and praying for them. And after they hear the Word of God, then, then ask them, what do you think about what you heard? And, and have conversations with them about that and pray for those people to come to Christ through this Christmas season. Then, of course, the Christmas pageant that will be on December the 8th at 7 o'clock and then December the 10th on Sunday evening at 6. That Christmas pageant is going to be also telling the story of Jesus, His birth, His resurrection, or crucifixion, resurrection, and His return. And so just that entire Christmas season is focused on glorifying the Lord and on reaching people with the gospel. So I just want to encourage you to bring people with you throughout this Christmas season and pray for the Lord to speak to them in a powerful way. And let me also just say my personal word of gratitude and thanks to all of our veterans here today too. Grateful for your service. Thank you for your service to our country. We are deeply appreciative of that. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, I come before you now and I ask you to give me the power to preach the word of God. I pray for that clarity of mind and clarity of speech that I need so desperately. I pray for the power of the living God to enable me to deliver your truth again this morning. I pray for your anointing. I pray to preach with compassion, with clarity and conviction, Lord, with convincing. I ask you to open our hearts and minds to hear the word you have for us today. I pray you'll remove distractions, and I pray, Lord God, that you will speak into our lives today, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17 is the text for today. Hebrews chapter 12, 12 through 17. I want to speak this morning on this subject, 
spiritual renewal to run the Christian race. Spiritual renewal to run the Christian race. Now, we all get weary, don't we? We get weary physically, but we also get weary spiritually. And when we're living for the Lord and we're following Jesus and we're facing the persecution of the world, we're facing the opposition, we're facing temptations, we're facing attacks of the enemy, then we can grow weary. What are we to do about that? Let's remember these first Christians that received this message here in the book of Hebrews were people that were uh, undergoing a persecution. They were living out a type of suffering because they were being persecuted and opposed because they were following Jesus Christ. And some of them were very weary. Some of them had already kind of fallen away and some were contemplating that and they needed to be encouraged. So the writer of Hebrews is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to them and encourage them. And he talks about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, his supremacy, his sovereignty, uh, his his superiority, how he is the Savior. No one else can deliver and purge from sin and give eternal life but Jesus and Jesus alone. And so they're encouraged to stay faithful to him. And they're reminded that, that, that everything they need to live for him is supplied if they will trust the Lord. They're told to come boldly to the throne of grace for mercy and grace to help in time of need, the Word of God says. They're to depend on the great high priest and their great Savior to enable them. And so there's that exhortation in today's verses also to, to continue to stay faithful to the Lord. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of strong Christian doctrine, but doctrine is meant to move us. Doctrine is meant for us to apply and to live out And so that's what we're being exhorted to do in the text for today. There's encouragement to the spiritually weary here. So let's take a look at these verses. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, here's the word of God. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. We're going back to that athletic imagery again. And that verse describes a spiritual weariness. Verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane or godless person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently." The main idea of this message this morning is that we must obey the exhortation to be renewed spiritually and to run with obedience the Christian life. In chapter 11, remember, the writer of Hebrews writes about some examples of Old Testament saints who faced difficult circumstances in life and and yet they trusted the Lord, they in faith obeyed Him and He gave them great victory. For some of them, he actually gave them the strength they needed to die for him. 
They suffered to the point of being put to death. They would not renounce their faith in him, but he gave them the power to persevere even through that. And so those examples were meant to encourage those first century Christians. They encourage us still yet today. And then we're told in verses two through four in chapter 12 that our ultimate example is Jesus who suffered at the hands of sinners, but he obeyed the Father and he provided atonement for all who believe in him. And the word of God lets us know that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he counted it joy to face what he did and he despised that shame and humiliation of the cross because it was obedience to the Father and it provided redemption for those of us who've called on him to be our Lord and Savior. And they were to run that Christian race keeping their focus on Jesus. And remember, when we get to chapter 12, we see what needs to happen if we're going to run this Christian race, if we're going to live this Christian life like we're supposed to. There's three things in verse one and two. Number one, there's preparation that must take place. Lay aside every weight, that is anything that hinders our spiritual progress. Lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us. Sin keeps us from running the Christian race like we are supposed to. Lay it aside, and so we're to do that. There are things that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind or the reading of the Word of God will bring to mind that we need to get out of our lives because it's a hindrance to us. There must be preparation. But then secondly, there must be implementation. Verse one goes on to say, we're to run with endurance the race that's set before us. We're to, we're to run with endurance, perseverance, not giving up. And then third, we are to have inspiration. And that inspiration is Jesus. Verse two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So that's how we get ready to run. That's how we begin to implement that, that race that we're to run. And then in verses 4 through 11, the writer of Hebrews taught us that God often uses his discipline, and that discipline is often found in the midst of suffering, to prod us out of our complacency to pursue things that you and I would never pursue without this discipline of God. And we talked about that last week and how he loves us that much to, to do what he did. And then we get to the text for today, verses 12 through 17, and we find here four exhortations to more specifically run this Christian race or live this Christian life. That's the same thing. So let's talk about these four things. Are you spiritually weary today? Are you tired spiritually? Here's the first step to renewal. And that is to be strengthened in the Lord. Verse 12 says, Therefore be strengthened, or therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now that's taken, that verse is taken from Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3 that speaks of spiritual weariness and fear, a fearfulness. Verse 4 of Isaiah 35 says this, Say to those who are fearful, fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. So we're at that athletic metaphor again, that illustration again. And strengthen those hands that hang down and strengthen those wobbly knees. Let me tell you something I know about running. You need your hands to really run. 
Because if your hands are not up, kind of pulling you through your strides and, and keeping you on balance, then you're not going to run very well. Try this. When you get out in the parking lot, take off running like this and see what happens. No, don't do that because you'll probably face plant. <laughs> you don't want to do that. I mean, it hinders you. you. You try to race, and some of these students will probably do that. One of you race with your hands down, one with them up, and see which one of them wins. Uh, and you just need that. It keeps your balance. It pulls you through. But when you get tired, a lot of times your hands will begin to droop. The next thing that goes is your knees. Your knees get wobbly and tired. By the way, a wobbly knees, weak knees, is also a universal sign of fear. You ever had the, just fear take over you and you, you, your knees get weak when that happens? Remember the first time I was preaching? I was going like this right here. My knees were just that so, so fearful. So if your knees are weak and you're trying to run, you're going, you're going to be in trouble because you're not going to be as strong doing that. You're, and you're going to be very vulnerable in that state. When I was involved in martial arts many years ago, and you would you get up there, you get into a sparring match, and if it lasts a long period of time, the one, if somebody gets tired, what they'll often do is drop their hands. You know, they just start dropping their hands. You drop your hands and you're in trouble because you need your hands up. I mean, your hands are up to, to guard you and, and, to, and to block, but if you let those hands down, you're, you're providing an opening for your opponent to nail you. And what I'm telling you this morning is when we're weary spiritually and we don't go to the Lord for strength, we are in an extremely vulnerable state for the enemy. Physical tiredness, emotional tiredness, and spiritual weariness is a, is a state that is a dangerous one for believers because it makes us more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So the Word of God says, be strengthened. As Christians face persecution, spiritual attacks, temptations, uh, trials and tribulations, if we're not careful and we're not, we're not implementing our spiritual disciplines properly, then what will happen is we'll grow spiritually weary. And we need to be strengthened. How is it that we go about strengthening what is weary and wobbly? Well, that's what we're being taught here in these surrounding verses. Now notice the word strengthen here. That word strengthen is an aorist active imperative. It's a command. And this aorist tense here emphasizes an urgency of activity. So it's stressing the need to be strengthened immediately, to take action to be strengthened. How is it individually and corporately as a body of believers do we strengthen ourselves in spiritual weariness? Well, there's two things we need to remember when we're being strengthened or to be strengthened. Number one, we just need to, first of all, know that when we're facing the hardships and the oppositions and the attacks of the enemy, understand that God is sovereign over those things. Even the attacks of the enemy, God can turn those things around and use them. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that God often uses our suffering to shape us and mold us. He also uses these times to discipline us because, I, as I said last week, there are some things no Christian ever learns without the discipline of God. There are places we do not go in our spiritual life 
without the prompting and the prodding of the discipline of God to move us out of complacency and closer to Him. So even when we're facing these difficult circumstances that make us weary sometimes, understand something. The Bible tells us that that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We need to remember that. But then, secondly, here's the... Here's the way in which we are strengthened. We look to Jesus. Verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the source of it, and He is the one that completes it. He is the one that provides us everything we need for this Christian life. So how is it then that we're to look to Jesus? Is it just simply setting our mind on Him and saying, I'm going to get my thoughts on Jesus? Well, that's part of it. But there are two things absolutely essential to looking to Jesus so you can be strengthened. Number one, you must engage the Word of God. You've got to get in the Word. Now, I'm not talking about getting up in the morning and going, okay, the preacher says I've got to do a little devotion time. Let's get one over with and done here. So we'll read here. Eh, that's good. All right, got that done. And, and then pray a few minutes. Okay, Lord, protect us today. I've got a you know, big thing at work to do. And Lord, help me. I didn't... St- Students, I didn't study for the test last night, but Lord, I pray for your amazing grace to be upon me, you know, and let me pass this test anyway, and those things, and then we're, we're out the door. Now, when, when I'm talking about engaging the Word of God here, and, and I'll get to this one in a moment also about prayer, I'm talking about we set aside time where we read, understand, reflect on, learn from, and apply what that text is saying. We, we interpret what it's saying in its original context. We ask ourselves the question, what's this saying about God? What's this saying about me? What am I to do now? What am I to do? Write out the application. Here's how I can implement this into my life. See, when we seek the Lord like that in His Word, I'm telling you, He will strengthen you because it's nourishment to the soul. How many people in here eat every day for your physical strength. Anybody in here not eat? You know, I didn't think so. We eat. Why do we eat? Now, we fast sometimes and that kind of thing, but normally we have have to eat. And sometimes uh, three times a day, if you're younger, you might eat 78 times a day. But you, you eat for physical strength and growth. Spiritually, we need to take on spiritual nourishment to grow. And that spiritual nourishment is the Word of God. And when we get in the Word and we focus in on what the Lord's saying through His Word, we are strengthened by that. But a second element to this is prayer. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, the Word of God says, draw near. That's a term of prayer. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then verse 16 goes on to say that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. That is prayer. We go into the presence of God. We go to the throne of grace in prayer. We go before the Lord in surrender. We go before the Lord in supplication. We take our needs to Him. We we lay out our lives before Him in surrender. We want to obey Him. We're praying to obey His, His will and His Word and what takes place in those moments of prayer, we are strengthened. 
Discouragement begins to dissipate. Fear begins to subside. And strength begins to take the place of weakness when the people of God come boldly before the throne of grace. We are focused on Jesus. We are crying out in surrender to obey him. Remember what happened when the apostles did that in Acts chapter 4 and the place where they prayed was shaken. The Spirit of God filled them and they went out boldly and they made known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think they were super duper human beings? No, they were not. They were just like us. But they set their focus on Jesus. They went in his presence and they were strengthened with the power of the Spirit of God that enabled them. After teaching the doctrine of salvation in three chapters in the book of, Ephesus, or book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul switches gears in chapter 4 and he starts teaching on the practical application of being saved, what it looks like to be saved, how you live out your life. Over in chapter 6 and verse 10, the Word of God says this, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so we get strong when we get with the Lord. We strengthen what's hanging down. We strengthen our wobbly knees by getting in the presence of the Lord and spiritually we're strengthened. Second thing we're to do, verse 13 is we're to stay on the right path. Verse 13 says, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. That lameness speaks of a, a spiritual condition of lameness there, that, that weariness. Not only do our hands need strengthened, our knees need strengthened, but we need a clear path, free of obstacles that hinder. And the way you do that is you stay on the right path. You don't get off track. You don't get sidetracked and distracted and get off the way in which we're to be living as those who are believers because if you get off the beaten path and you've got weak knees then you might twist your ankle you might fall down and break something you might dislocate something and so you stay on that right path and the same is true spiritually we can get in a worse condition if we don't, we don't experience spiritual healing. We experience a dislocation, the Word of God says. That's a medical term. And it's a spiritual dislocation. It could have been brought on by the chastening of God. It brings us to a worse condition than we were before, a, a, a rock-bottom type situation. And that's meant to cause us to repent and to return to the right path of life. Well, what is that right path? Well, it's living by the Word of God. It's living by the truth of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 133 says, Direct my steps by your Word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. It's living by the Word of truth. Now, that word paths in verse 13 is interesting. It's a word that, that, that meant marks that were left by carts. So if you've got a, a cart or a chariot, you know, that's going to leave wheel marks. And it's leaving out a path behind where you go. And so I, uh, we, we have one path to follow. 
And that path is to follow the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible calls the Lord Jesus the captain of our salvation. That word captain can be translated pioneer or trailblazer. He's blazing the trail, we're following him. The Word of God tells us, the Lord, he told us that if we want to come after him, then we need to deny self and die to self. Let's take up your cross daily and follow me. And you do that by obeying the Word of God. Now, let, let me just remind you of something today. Uh, this is the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us over here in Hebrews chapter 2 that we are, uh, we're being warned there in verse 1 and 2 to avoid spiritual drift. And the Word of God tells us that we're to take heed to the things which we have heard lest we drift away. Now, if you'll remember when we studied Hebrews chapter 2, we talked about what it means, these things which you have heard. It means the Word of God. See, back then they didn't have, like we do, a Bible, you know, about 10 Bibles in your house. They would come and they would gather with the people of God and they would hear the Word of God and they would memorize that. They would internalize that. They would meditate on that. So what that means is that we are to follow uh, the path of the truth of God. And when we do, we're leaving a path for people to come along behind us too. July the 3rd, uh, 2021, marked the 25th anniversary of my granddaddy's death. And my brother posted on his Facebook on that day uh, something about my granddaddy. Here's what he wrote. It was 25 years ago today that my granddad, Jess Orr, got up and weed-eated around the house and came inside and sat in his chair by the window and passed away. He was not a rich man or a famous man, but a fair and honest man who loved his Creator and his family and friends. He seemed to be able to do just about anything he set his head to do, like build things, fix things, farming, but I would have to say that growing a large garden was one of the things that made him shine. I think of the lessons that I learned from him almost every day. But today I remember coming home from the funeral and walking through the rows of corn and beans, etc., and seeing the harvest full and ready to gather. And Dad said, Well, let's get busy. And as I helped gather the crop that my granddad had made, I remember seeing his footprints in the old Georgia dirt as if to say, I have shown you the way. Remember to leave a clear path behind you. What kind of path are you leaving behind you? My granddaddy left a clear one, and the path that he left behind is one that says, follow Jesus, because he was a man of God who did just that. Every night before I go to bed after my, my nighttime prayer time, I always go and check and make sure the front door is locked. And there's a little secretary desk sitting in the foyer of our house, and the little writing desk is opened up, and my granddaddy's 
Bible is on that desk. And every night, when I look at the door to make sure the deadbolt's locked, I'll reach down and touch that Bible as a reminder of the path that I'm on. And that path is to follow Jesus because I want to make sure I am leaving a clear path behind me. And do you know that there are people in this church family and there are people in your family that are going to follow the path that you take? Brothers and sisters, we better make sure we're following Jesus. We better make sure we're on the right path. When all of us walk on that path, I'm going to tell you what will happen. You'll encourage your family. You'll encourage those around you to follow Jesus. Make your path straight. So we see here in the Word of God that when we're spiritually weary, we're to be strengthened by the Lord. And secondly, we're to make sure we're on the right path. But then third, the Word of God teaches us that we're to pursue peace with all people and holiness, verse 14 tells us. Now, that's part of the pathway we're on. If you ain't doing that, then what I'm telling you is we're not, we're not following Jesus. The Bible says in verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that word pursue is an intense word. It's a present active imperative. It's a command of Scripture, but it's communicating a continual and intense pursuit of these things that are talked about in this verse. Now, when I was younger, I used to coon hunt. And I had hounds. And if you've got a good uh, hound that's trained well, and you, you turn those hounds out, what they do is they start, they hit the woods, and they're looking for a scent trail. And once they find that scent trail, or they even strike up a raccoon, they'll take off after that thing, and, uh, or they'll catch up with it eventually, and, 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 and the chase is on. And they'll be barking. You can tell when they've struck something up, and you can tell them. You can listen to the dogs and tell the change in their voices. If they get to a tree, they... They'll run that thing up a tree, and then they'll start just giving the tree bark on that, and you'll know they've got it treed. And they'll go through everything you can think of, the roughest terrain. They'll even go through water if they can see that. And sometimes that's not good for a dog to go into, especially deep water with a, with a raccoon. They'll get on their head sometimes and even drown them. So, uh, but but they're, they're relentless in their pursuit. I have many times had to take off gear and get on my stomach and, and, and snake through mountain laurel to keep, uh, keep up with the dogs because they pursue like that. The Word of God teaches us that's how we ought to be pursuing peace with people and holiness. So let me ask you a question. Is that what we're doing? Let's look at this more closely. First of all, the Word of God says that we're to pursue peace with all people. And this is describing an aspect of Christian love. And we're to, we're to be at peace with each other. Now, what this does not mean is that you compromise truth to be at peace with someone. Because sometimes uh, when you tell the truth of God or you live the truth of God, there's going to be some who so hate the truth of God that no matter what you do, they're not going to be at peace with you. And the Word of God tells us in 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But it does not mean compromise the truth because you can't be pursuing holiness and compromise the truth of God. And there's some today who compromise the truth of God and they do so and they'll, they'll reject uh, teachings of scripture that is, that is 2,000 years old just to fit in with the culture around them and we cannot do that. We're to stand firm on the truth. And sometimes, and I have had this happen to me over the years, you try your best to be at peace with someone you know is not at peace with, and you go talk to that person, and yet there's no resolution because it takes two people. But you've done what you're supposed to do in those situations to make that peace. And sometimes uh, this means that we show extra grace to people. We, we look at people in the eyes of the Lord. We give them the benefit of the doubt. We do not... Uh, the Bible says love covers a multitude of offenses. Peter wrote, wrote that. And so what we do is we, we forgive. We're, we're willing to be gracious and show grace to people and work things out. And sometimes that takes many conversations in my experience over the years, sometimes to understand each other and, and come, to, uh, uh, come to peace. Sometimes folks don't want to be at peace with you, though. But we're to pursue it as much as possible. That, with intensity, the Word of God says. And that has great impact on the world outside. And the Bible says here to be at peace with all. I mean, it starts with the family of God, but also it includes those even outside. And, and you know there's going to be times when they're not going to be at peace with us because of where we stand and how we walk with Jesus. But, but you try because it makes a difference. Many years ago, and I've told this story before, so many of you have heard this, but some of you have not. I was ignorance on fire. <laughs> I'm just ignorant now, but, but, but it, it was ignorance on fire back in those days. And so I, I got into a, a confrontation with one of my coworkers on the way to work one day about the subject of abortion. He was for it, I was against it. So here we are in this heated, this heated debate to a point where he pulled over on the side of the road and said, don't point your finger at me again. And I just jumped out of the vehicle and said, you get out here right now, let's settle this on the side of the interstate. Now, immediately, I fell under conviction. You know, and, and so then he, did, he didn't get out, and, and I just felt like an idiot, and then got back in the vehicle, and so we're, we're going to work, and there's silence. There's a third rider, and he's in the back seat just kind of going. <laughs> well, this is interesting. But, so we... And the whole time, I'm, I'm confessing and repenting to the Lord in my heart. I'm saying, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. That was sin. I confess that. So when we got to work, I went to him, and I said, um, I need to ask you to forgive me because what I did was wrong. That's not what a Christian should do. I've asked the Lord to forgive me of that sin, and I want to ask you if you will forgive me for acting like that. And he was taken back by that. And he says, yeah, man, I'll forgive you. And we were restored. There was peace there. Uh, and, and, and then I was able to have an influence on him for the Lord for longer time until the Lord called me to ministry and I moved away from there. We're, we're just, and I'll tell, I'll tell you, here's one of the things that gets us. Pride. Pride keeps us so often from making peace with others. We had to humble ourselves. But then also, 
The Word of God says to pursue holiness. That means that we're to have a holy attitude. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a holy attitude? Or are we always negative and griping and complaining and, you know, those kind of things? Do we have holy conduct and morals? Is it based on what the Word of God says? Do we have holy actions and ethics? We're to pursue that. How are we going to know what those things are? Because they're found here. This is the Word of God. It's the authority for the Christian. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's His Word. It's the way in which He's revealed His truth to us that we need to know so we can obey Him. It makes sense that God would do that, right? In our day and time, so many are going, I don't believe the Bible. That was written down by men, blah, blah, blah. You know where they get that, come up with that idea? They watch somebody on TikTok. So a guy or a gal on TikTok tells them that, and then because this was supposedly written down by men, they, they take that one's word, but not this one's word. And it's just how deceived we are so often. But what God did is through His inspiration moved upon the hearts of people to write down His words so we'd have an accurate revelation of Him. And if we're going to pursue holiness, then we obey this. It's the pursuit of holiness so we can be more and more like Jesus. How will we know? I got people today that'll tell you Jesus would do this and he would do that and he wouldn't do this and do that. And what I know from the word of God is those things they're saying is a complete lie. How would I ever know that without God giving us a, a clear standard of revelation which he does so in the Bible? Would you describe your life today as holy? Now, you're not perfect, but you're, you're pursuing holiness. I mean, you're trying to die. You're trying to put sin to death, and you want to pursue a righteous conduct in your life. The Bible says, without which, no one will see the Lord. So if we're not doing this, we're not running the Christian right, uh, race, right? And the Word of God says, without which, no one will see the Lord. Now, that's interpreted a couple of ways. Some believe, and based on verses like 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, that says, no one has seen the Lord, no one has seen God. But if we love one another, He abides in us. You know what He's saying there? People in the world see God by the way that we're able to love each other in an unworldly way. So some believe if we're not pursuing peace and holiness, then we're going to be at odds with each other and we're not going to be manifesting the presence of God. Now, I think that's true, but I don't think that's really what the true meaning, main meaning of what's being said here is. I, I, believe, I believe this. What it's saying is those who don't pursue holiness are those who will not see the Lord because people who are redeemed are to be pursuing holiness. So if we're not, then we're acting like people who are not saved. I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying you're acting like you're not. Because we're to be pursuing. And if, that's, and if we never pursue holiness, what does that say about us? Can we really be saved? <laughs> because the Bible says we become a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
So the Word of God tells us to be strong in the Lord, be strengthened in the Lord. Number two, it tells us to stay on the right path, path of obedience. Number three, we're to pursue peace with all people and, and holiness. But then finally, number four, we're to be vigilant to care for our spiritual well-being as well as others, verses 15 through 17. Now, these verses have an individual application and a corporate application. We have a responsibility to pay close attention to our own spiritual lives, and then we have a responsibility to help each other. Because here's what I want to tell you today. We are family. We are the family of God. This congregation of believers is part of the family of God. We are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are to love each other, honor each other, respect each other. Again, the Bible tells us we're to esteem others better than ourselves. We're to look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interest of others, as the Scripture tells us. We're to rejoice when others rejoice, weep when they weep. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to help each other along the way. The Word of God says here we're to, we're to look carefully. Looking carefully translates a Greek participle that is imperative. It's command. It is a word that means to watch out for. We're to watch out for each other. What are we to watch out for each other about? The Scripture says here to watch out for one another lest somebody miss the grace of God. They fall short of the grace of God. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean they lose their salvation. It does not mean that they have, that they have missed salvation. It means here in this context, in light of all we have studied in this book so far and how we interpret the book of Hebrews, it means that they miss out on the progressing grace of God. What I mean by that is they miss out on the empowerment that comes from God to move them along in their spiritual lives. They fall behind in the race. And we're to be looking out for each other to help us along the way. I don't want to leave my brothers and sisters behind, but bring them on. Sometimes we get resistant at people doing that. We ought to do that in the right spirit, but that's what we're called to do. We're, we're looking out for one another in that way. And when people don't move along in their walk with God, then the Word of God says this happens. A root of bitterness begins to rise up, and it causes trouble. And many are defiled. Now, what does that mean? That's based on Deuteronomy chapter 29, and that root of bitterness could be a, a number of things, but it speaks of, of a poison. And sometimes it is actually a person who is bitter about things, and they can poison others. Or it could be any sin that has developed because they have fallen behind in their race with God. They're not on the right path. They're not pursuing holiness and peace with others. They're just not. They've got bad attitudes and judgmental spirits and immoral behavior or drunkenness or evil speaking or gossip or anger or lying or filthy speech and on and on and on. We can keep naming out those things. The grace of God gives us power to put those sins to death and to pursue a righteous behavior. And we experience a fruitful life then, and, and He rewards that, the Lord does. In verse 16 and 17, we find an illustration of this, Esau. 
Esau, Genesis 27, he comes in from the field. He's been out hunting and he's, he's hungry. And he, he says he's starving. Well, he really wasn't starving. It's like we'd say the same thing. He's really hungry. His brother Jacob's fixing a stew and he comes in and he says, give me some of that stew. And his brother says, you trade me your birthright. And Esau goes, well, what good's a birthright to me if I don't get some stew right now? I'm gonna die. All he was focused on is the immediate gratification of the flesh. That's the reward he was after. So he traded his birthright. And when he really sought the blessing later on, there was no place found for him to repent. He could not receive it. This is the same thing as neglecting our salvation that we talked about back in Hebrews chapter 2. It speaks of the loss of reward that we talked about in Hebrews chapter 6. Do you know when we don't run the race like we're called to run the race, that many of us miss out on incredible opportunities that God has for us that we, that we lose? We can't go back. I mean, we can't, we've, we've blown it there. <laughs> now, we can confess, obviously. God's always confessing and re not remembering our lawless deeds anymore. But what I'm telling you is there's opportunities we miss out on. And, and we miss future reward because we fell, fell short of the grace of God and didn't run the race as we were called to. You know, running the, running the Christian race, living the Christian life can be difficult at times. But it's also very rewarding. And we need to encourage one another along the way. So my brothers and sisters, I say to you this morning, let's be strengthened in the Lord. Let's stay on the right path. Let's pursue peace and holiness. Let's look out for our own spiritual lives and the spiritual lives of our brothers and sisters. Encourage one another along. And let's be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today some of you are weary. The first step, you just need to come to Jesus. Lord. Forgive me for my straying, and Lord, today I'm praying for strength. I'm praying for you, Lord God, to give me the strength I need to keep running. And you engage him in the word and prayer daily to maintain that strength. Maybe some of us need to pursue peace with others right now. And maybe the Lord will bring somebody to your mind if you had not already and need to pursue peace with that brother or sister in Christ. Maybe, maybe some... They need to confess sins in their life today and begin to pursue holiness. Maybe you're falling behind or maybe you know somebody falling behind in their spiritual life and you want to pray for them today. Ask the Lord how you can encourage them along. And for some today, you're not saved. You've never been born again. You've never truly called on Jesus to be your Savior. Would you admit today that you are in sin? And will you admit today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God the Son, and He came and lived and died and rose again to atone for sin? Are you willing to trust Him today, turning away from your sin to surrender yourself to Jesus? If you'll do that today, He will save you. He'll make you a new creation. Will you come to Him today? Others might need to unite with His church. You can come meet me down front here and say, I want to be a member here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for...
your word. I thank you for the encouragement it was to me personally and the, the challenges and the things that are brought to my mind now to pursue. And I pray, Father, for you to work now in the lives of all of us. Help us, Lord, to, to obey you, to apply this truth to our lives. And, Lord, there may be multiple ways in which you're speaking, and I just ask you now, Lord, to help us to obey. So have your way now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.